Welcome to Pocket Economics, a guide to changing lives, our podcast about the ideas which are shaping the EBRD regions and beyond. I'm Jonathan Charles, and today we're discussing how sexuality can affect your salary level. What does it mean to be gay or lesbian in the modern workplace in different parts of the world? Our guest, Jevat Gire Aksoy, Principal Economist at the EBRD and a researcher at the London School of Economics, is here today to discuss the pay gap, discrimination and inclusion. Jevat, you say in a recent paper that gay workers earn at least 5% less than their straight counterparts. Does sexual orientation really affect our career prospects? Um, well, it really does. Um, in our recent study with my co-authors, we used confidential data from the United Kingdom, which permits us to identify individual sexual orientation and also their partnership status. This means that we can directly test for how sexual orientation affects earnings. We showed that having data on partnership status, such as being single or married, is fundamentally important. And after controlling for observable determinants of earnings, we find that lesbian women in a relationship earn more than comparable heterosexual women, but there are no earnings differences for single women. When we look at men, we find a negative earnings penalty for partner gay men compared to partner heterosexual men, but no earnings differences for single gay men compared with similarly situated non-partnered single men. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating, you know, really, really fascinating outcomes. But what do you think are the real causes then of such discrimination and the resulting pay gap? I mean, you seem to be suggesting partnership status is, is important as well here. Well, there are two main reasons for the pay gap. The first one is the very well-known one, which is labor market discrimination. And surveys show that sexual minorities are statistically one of the most discriminated against demographics at the workplace today. It is mainly because of lack of legal protection in the workplace, discrimination in job interviews, or mistreatment on the job. The second reason is a less well-known one, which is household specialization. What do we mean by that? If you think about traditional heterosexual relationship, one partner might focus on labor market, such as full-time employment. Maybe at work. (laughs) Yeah. And um, other partners might focus on home production, such as taking care of the household chores, looking after children. And when we look at the same-sex couples, the household dynamics are very different. A woman in a lesbian relationship is more likely to take on the labor market than a woman in heterosexual relationship. And that dynamic has reverse effect on men. The average partnered heterosexual men will be more focused on market activities than the average gay man. So taken together, our results are consistent with household specialization. However, some limited evidence supports the presence of discrimination as an explanatory factor. For example, older men earn less than comparable heterosexual men, and it is likely that as men get older, not being in a heterosexual marriage becomes more of a signal for sexual minority status. When we look at bisexual men, we find that earnings penalty takes place only in the private sector, not in the public sector, where greater protections against discrimination are in place. And what I said about lesbian women, we observe lesbian earnings premium. That's how we call it. And it is commonly interpreted as positive discrimination. Data show us lesbians are less likely to be married and have fewer children. Therefore, employers may perceive them as more committed to their jobs and less burdened by family responsibilities than straight women. Lesbians may experience less discrimination than straight women because employers may perceive them to be more attached to the labor market. What I find just very interesting about this, just just a quick follow-up here, is there is a lot of legislation in place in the United Kingdom about equality in the workplace. Uh, which is supposed to give workers a lot of protection. Yet somehow it doesn't seem to play out 
certainly in the private sector, if, you, if your findings are right, in mm. terms of giving uh, gay and lesbian staff that sort of protection? Well, I mean, yes and no. When we look at public sector, we don't observe any earnings differences. I think private sector companies should do better employing policies against discrimination. So it's about mindset, not necessarily legislation. Exactly. So we know that legislation itself will not change things immediately. And we need to educate people. We need to make sure that people know about each other and learn about each other and respect each other. Now, does such a large pay gap mean the career growth can be limited for sexual minorities? Is it, is it, does it have that implication? Owing to data constraints, there has been very little published work that has systematically addressed this question. Using confidential data from the UK with my co-authors, we now investigate how sexual orientation affects uh, career progression. And although these results are very preliminary, we find that gay men and lesbians are more likely to have managerial and supervisory authority at the workplace. But despite this apparent advantage, we find that gay men face glass ceilings. Their likelihood of obtaining workplace authority is entirely driven by the fact that they are more likely to be low-level managers. And when we look at bisexual men and women, we also find that they are less likely to have all types of workplace authority. You're listening to Pocket Economics, the EBRD podcast on how economic ideas help to change people's lives. We really want to hear what you think, especially on this topic, very interesting topic. Contact us at EBRD on Twitter and on Facebook with the hashtag, of course, Pocket Economics. I'm Jonathan Charles, and today we're discussing the effect of sexuality on pay with our guest, Javak Gire Aksoy. Uh, Javak, moving on, what about the EBRD regions? We, We recently did our Life in Transition survey and what attitudes can we see in that? Uh, what's it tell us about attitudes in our regions, in the EBRD regions, about uh, LGBT people? Um, first of all, recognizing the rights of minority groups is an important component of social cohesion, which in turn affects life satisfaction. In our recent Life in Transition survey, respondents were presented with a list of different groups of people and asked to disclose which category or categories they wouldn't like to have as neighbors. And results are really striking. So on average, in our countries of operation or in the EBRD region, more than 50% of people would prefer not to have gay or lesbian neighbors. I also looked at the figures from the Gallup data. According to 2016 data, uh, more than 40% of people say that their city or area is not a good place for uh, gay and lesbian people. Collectively, these figures indicate that public opinion of sexual minorities is overwhelmingly negative, and being open about sexual orientation is likely to come with huge risk in our countries of operation. However, there has been a positive change in tolerance perceptions towards gays and lesbians since 2010. The increase in tolerance, for example, was the largest in Turkey and southeastern Europe, but the trend of acceptance of sexual minorities has seemingly reversed in Armenia, Kazakhstan, Romania, Russia, and Uzbekistan. I'm not establishing any causal interpretation, but introducing constitutional bans on same-sex marriage may have played a role in the decline in tolerance in these countries. We should acknowledge that starting with 1990s, many of our countries of operation have undergone major transformation and they pass regulations to eliminate discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. Despite this positive development, only in a few countries, sexual minorities are constitutionally protected from discrimination. This is very important because LGBT individuals may not feel comfortable mentioning their sexual orientation to authorities, which in turn makes it really hard to Mm. find the right data to actually investigate the determinants of uh, labor market discrimination and anti-gay bias in a society. And how does 
that picture of what's going on in EBRD countries, how does that compare to what's going on, for example, in Western Europe? Well, the, our numbers don't compare well with Western European countries. So on a broader picture, only 10% of world population is living in countries where same-sex marriage or unions are a legal right, and most of these countries are Western European countries. And according to figures from the Life in Transition survey, hospitable attitudes toward sexual or sexual orientation and sexual minorities are substantially higher in the comparative Western European countries. Again, I looked at the data, and according to the Gallup World Poll, more than 75% of respondents in the Western European countries report that their city is a good place for gay and lesbian people. This implies that there is still so much to be done in the effort to attain universal rights for LGBT communities in the EBRD region. And yet again, there has been significant progress over the last 10 years, and we should acknowledge this. So where we see this discrimination in countries, I mean, you could argue that those economies really aren't making the most of the potential talent pool. So it's holding back their economic growth, if you take that to, to extremes, that argument. Well, that's absolutely true. Um, according to studies carried out in the United States and United Kingdom, about 50% of LGBT students are regularly harassed at school, and most of them skip school to escape harassment. This indicates waste of human capital on a very large scale. And every minority individual forced to leave their schools, jobs, or even their countries is a lost chance to build more productive and inclusive economy. Although it's really hard to estimate um, the exact number, Non-inclusive or discriminatory policies can cost billions of dollars to the countries. For example, one recent study shows that discrimination against LGBT people could be costing up to $30 billion a year for one large G20 country. Another study also shows a positive link between LGBT rights and the level of economic development. Again, we cannot establish any causal interpretation, but we all know that less discrimination would eventually lead more output and economic growth. So what can be done to reduce a pay gap uh, that clearly exists from the research that you found? And, and what could MDBs, you know, such as the European Bank for Reconstruction Development, do to help? Well, intergovernmental development institutions are very important stakeholders in this debate. Uh, we should encourage our borrowers, our partners, and private enterprises to be more inclusive. And looking at the consumer side, consumers really care about inclusion and respect for human rights. So companies and institutions should embrace diversity. Um, where in international institutions and companies fall short, national governments can play a major role in this debate. They can constitutionally protect minority groups by establishing good practices and ways to overcome discrimination. And the more governments do to protect sexual minorities, the faster the people become more tolerant and accommodating. Um, that said, as I mentioned earlier, the laws themselves are not going to completely get rid of discrimination. Therefore, continuing public education about sexual orientation and gender identity is very important. And people need to learn about each other and how to treat each other with respect. Jervat, a very interesting and uh, thought-provoking discussion. Thank you very much indeed. That's all we've got time for. If you're interested in finding out more, visit ebrd.com to read our latest Life in Transition survey and Jervat's working paper, which is called Sexual Orientation and Earnings, New Evidence from the UK. Meanwhile, of course, you can share your thoughts with us at EBRD on Twitter and Facebook. Visit iTunes, SoundCloud and ebrd.com slash podcast to download previous episodes. And remember that reviewing and rating Pocket Economics helps others to find it. Until next time, goodbye.